Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. This week, I sit down with Deborah Lee Jones, former U.S. Secretary of the Air Force. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of On The Spot. I am your host, Melinda Garvey, and I'm super excited to bring you yet another incredible role model, as we do every week at On The Spot. And today, we welcome Deborah Lee James. And Deborah served as the 23rd Secretary of the Air Force, and she's only the second woman in history to lead a U.S. military service. And in this position, not only did she lead a force of 600, which is a lot of people. My goodness, I can't wait to hear about that, Deborah. But she also also managed a budget of $139 billion. So I think that it's going to be a really interesting story and to hear your journey today. So welcome, Deborah. We're really excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Melinda. Well, how I always like to get started, I think that so much of our learning comes from really being able to see your journey. So I like to go way back. When you were growing up, what was your big dream? What was your path that you thought you were going to be on? And then how did you get onto this path? So tell us sort of your story. Well, it's interesting because as a young person, I was very directed. I knew exactly what I wanted to do from about high school forward. A lot of young people don't, but boy, I had it all together. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And the answer is I wanted to be a diplomat. I wanted to serve in the State Department and travel the world and work on foreign policy issues. And so as a young person in high school, college, and graduate school, I charted and navigated my path toward that goal. And I thought I took all of the right courses. I secured top grades. I became a foreign exchange student and became fluent in a foreign language. I went to great schools. I even secured a very coveted, hard-to-get internship with the State Department when I was a graduate student. So at the conclusion of graduate school, I moved to Washington. I thought I had all my ducks in a row. I applied to the State Department. And for whatever set of reasons, I was not selected for the job. And I just remember I crashed. I went to bed. I, I literally was paralyzed for about a week. Thought my whole life was over and I'd wasted all this time. My dream had gone up in smoke. But I pivoted at that point. I needed a job. We all need a paycheck, a source of income. I pivoted and I applied elsewhere in the federal government. And I secured one and only one job offer. And it was with the Department of the Army, which was completely foreign to me at the time. I had no exposure to the military, didn't really know much about it didn't even have an interest in it, but at least it was a job. And I took it, I did my best. And before you know it, one thing led to the next, led to the next. 35 years later, I became the secretary of the Air Force. So go figure, sometimes your plan B and sometimes what feels like a failure at the time can open new doors, you learn about new things that you were never exposed to before, and it can be the greatest thing ever. Right. And I think that it is a great message because I will say that it is interesting when I'm talking to women, I either hear like, wow, I really was on this whole path and I, you know, just went a completely different path or no, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And like you, you were very specific, very directed about it, but it's funny. There's always a pivot. And I think that that's a great message is that it's never a straight line, no matter how much you plan and, you know, being able to sort of understand that and intrinsic and understand that it's not a failure is super important. So thank you for sharing that. 
Absolutely. And just to foot stomp that for a moment, I just wrote a book. It's called Aim High, Chart Your Course and Find Success. And the number one lesson learned that I put in that book, it's a book of stories. It's a book about journeys. It's a book about ups, downs and zigs and zags. The number one lesson learned is always have a plan A, always have some formula of what you want to do and where you want to go, but be agile and recognize that if you even make it to plan A, you may discover you don't like it. And therefore, you're going to need to pivot if you're going to find personal satisfaction. Or you may be like me, that your dream just doesn't materialize for whatever reason. You got to be prepared to have one door closed and another door opens. Take a risk and go through that door because it could be the best thing ever. Just for a point of clarification, we had talked about this before we started the show about you kind of getting into this military and becoming the 23rd secretary of the Air Force. You know, I think a lot of us lay people would automatically think, oh, well, she must be in the military and what's your rank and all that. But you did share with me that, no, you're actually not in the military. And kind of, I would love for you just to explain that to our listeners. I think it's interesting. My whole professional life has been about the military. I've always been a civilian who has worked within the military and on the outside. When I was in the business world, I was a business person who was doing military contracting work. But again, I want to underscore always as a civilian. Now, in our form of government, there's a principle, civilian control of the military. So, of course, right from the top, the president of the United States is the commander in chief. Um, He that's always been a he so far is a civilian, may or may not have had some military uniform uh, background, but when, when serving as president, always a civilian. Secretary of Defense, same story. The secretaries of the Air Force, Army, and Navy, same story. Presumably, if you get to this level, because of course, these are the top jobs in the national security apparatus of the United States, you have background. And indeed, I had 35 years of defense background, but again, always as a civilian, which just goes to show we have only 1% of America that serves in uniform at any given time. That means the rest of us 99% need to understand, appreciate, and be supportive of our military. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to kind of continue on that theme of being, of course, you are decidedly a woman who is right there in the middle of a predominantly man's world in terms of your working conditions. But I'd love to sort of talk about how was it different, you being a civilian, than maybe some of the women that were in the military? You know, can you share some of those maybe different challenges or maybe similar challenges that you all face? Well, there's probably more similar than there are different types of challenges. But as you said, being a woman in a man's world, being a civilian in a sea of uniforms, I've certainly been that all my life. I've been a liberal arts major who had eventually came to oversee a very highly technical workforce. I've been a young person for years in a sea of much older people in all of my jobs. Note to self, that eventually catches up with you, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I'm not the youngest anymore by a long shot. But the point is, how does one navigate through these sorts of arrangements. And I've always felt that you need to play to your strengths, to know what your strengths are, understand what your strengths are not. And while you're trying to beef yourself up in ways that you're less strong, recognize that you're in a team environment and leverage and celebrate the strengths of the team. Don't be fearful of it. Don't worry that someone will overtake you, but rather celebrate and leverage and make sure you're playing to your strengths within that team environment. And that's what I've always tried to do. And over the years, my strengths have been different things. When I was a young person just starting out, 
I was a really good writer and researcher. And so that was the role that I could play within the team environment. And as I got older and rose through the ranks and had more experience, I built my strengths. And when I became secretary, I had a variety of strengths. But what I had never done was been in combat. I had never been in uniform. And so far be it for me to ever try to out-combat pilot the combat pilot. This is where you got to sit back, listen, take the input. We're a team here. We're going to play to our individual strengths, and we're going to be a whole lot smarter as a team than any of us would be individually. Well, it's interesting. I had a conversation recently with a female veteran, MJ Hager, and we were kind of talking about this whole concept of just being right smack in the middle of a man's world and how she navigated that. And she said something to me that I think was really interesting. She said, you know, men enjoy an assumption of competence. So it's, you know, they're just automatic people assume that they are competent and that women simply don't, that that's why they have to fight so much harder. So, you know, when you're operating, you know, I, I think you talked about that playing to your strengths, but also sort of how can women help each other in those situations and really band together to overcome some of these obstacles? Well, one thing that I always recommend, particularly to younger women who are now experiencing perhaps some of the things that I experienced let's say 20 or 30 years ago. If you're in an environment where you're one of just a handful of women or you're the only woman, it's very easy to get talked over and to get overlooked. And I think it's really important that you try your best not to let that happen. And the way to do it is always to speak up, have your voice be heard. And there's a number of ways to do this. So for example, you can have your voice heard through some sort of a substantive comment or a substantive input to the discussion. Of course, you have to do your homework. You have to know what you're talking about. But if you have done your homework and you know what you're talking about, don't be afraid. Sometimes we're afraid to speak up. And I try to counsel people not to be. The second thing you can do is you can ask a searching question, a good question. And that's another way to make sure that everybody notices that you're there at the table. So by posing a question, you can have your voice heard. And the third way is to summarize what you've been hearing. Okay, what I'm hearing is this. On the one hand, that. On the other hand, this. You can summarize in a team environment. But I believe it's important to speak up as well as listen deeply. That's another lesson learned that I put forth in Aim High. And the way women can support one another, what we need to do is if a woman is talked over, if she makes a point, if it's overlooked, if a man then a moment later, he beats her, meaning basically makes the same point, but he gets the credit and she doesn't, the other women or the men around the table who are noticing what is going on here can speak up and help her recapture the moment. Thank you very much, Bob, for amplifying Nancy's point. Now let's get back to what Nancy was saying. It can be done in such a fashion to not be objectionable to anybody concerned, but rather to help her recapture the point. No, I love that. Okay, so we've sort of been talking about this, you know, being part of a man's world and how to overcome these things. But now I'd like to pivot to your book, which you mentioned earlier called Aim High, Chart Your Course and Find Success. So tell me about the impetus for this book. Well, the impetus was through the zigs and zags and the ups and downs of my own life. And with, again, 35 or more years even of experience under my belt, professionally as well as in life, because the zigs and zags and the ups and downs happened to all of us in our personal lives as well. I felt like through trial and error, I had created for myself, if you will, a formula, a formula which had allowed me to not only survive through difficult circumstances, but also to reach the point of thriving, which to me is finding that 
sweet spot of personal and professional satisfaction and fulfillment. So I wrote Aim High uh, after I left the government, after I stepped down from being the secretary of the Air Force, I had a bit more time to devote. And I decided I want to write a book. I've never written a book before. And I want to try to share this formula through a series of lessons learned and mostly storytelling. You said it earlier, Melinda, facts and figures and data, very, very important. And by the way, the book has some of that as well, but it is overridingly a book about stories. And the tone of the book is conversational, much like our tone right now. It's as though you and I are sitting down over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. Awesome. What are some of those key takeaways and key pieces of advice that come through those stories? To me, there have been three essential actions over my life. And of course, there's some underlying strategies with each of those actions. But in a nutshell, the three essential actions that we all need to take, I believe, are number one, you need to take control and chart and navigate your course. And by that, I mean, you need your plan A. You have to be prepared either because you're, it's foist upon you or because your dream isn't what you thought it would be. You need to be prepared to pivot to plan B. So that's the first lesson learned there. The other thing is the importance of mentorship. I didn't do this by myself. I had plenty of people who took an interest in me, who cared about my professional development, and this was enormously important. So I talk a lot about the importance of mentorship and the network. I mentioned the State Department, what felt like a fiasco to me at the time. After that initial stumble, I will say I never again sent a resume cold to any employer to seek any new job because between the mentors, the networks, one thing always led to another for me. So the importance of mentoring and network. I also talk about the importance of positive leadership and just having a positive attitude. Nobody likes a Debbie Downer, right? Even before Saturday Night Live made fun of that, I knew that inherently. So even when the chips are down, you better put on a face, which is at least neutral. Don't wear your heart on your sleeve. Be professional at all times and be upbeat in your leadership, upbeat in your contributions in the work. So all of that is part of chart and navigate. The second part is the lead and inspire that's very important when you get to lead a team. And here's where speak up and listen deeply is a lesson learned. This has to do with the power of communication skills, but also the importance of active listening. Very, very important. I talk about ethical behavior, putting people first, because technology, innovation, all these things are crucial. But if you don't get the people part of your equation right, you're just not going to make it. You're going to fail. And the last essential action is get things done. Because if you go for that next promotion and you get it, that's because somebody sees potential in you, but make no mistake about it. They won't see that potential if you haven't accumulated a body of accomplishment in your current role. And there's where it's hugely important, get things done. Not just the what, but the how, how you treat people, your ethical stance, and how you collaborate use a, a phrase, problem-solving principles. Is there a certain technique that you've mastered over time to really tackle a problem? Maybe you don't know what to do about it, and how do you go about doing that? I do, and again, this is a trial and error and doing things correctly and, and doing them incorrectly. But whether it's business, whether it's government, even in your personal life, I think there's basically a five-step process. The first is investigate. What's going on here? What does the data tell me? What do the people who care about this issue think? What are the stakeholders' viewpoints in this? 
So you've got to investigate and understand the depth of whatever the situation is. And you need to understand the urgency of the problem. Not all problems are immediate, but some are. And if they are, you need to understand that so that you're prepared to deal with it. The second part of the equation is communicate. So this is the importance of explaining the case for action. What is the business case for doing something different here? Why do we need to do something different in our family? How are we or why should we do something different in our government? So it's the importance of communicating and beginning to bring people along with you. The third is activate. Okay, we're going to change, but what are we going to do? What are our initiatives? Let's lay those out. Communication has to be continual. Next is iterate. Because whatever you've decided to do differently, you can pretty much bet you won't get it 100% right. You'll have to jettison certain pieces. Maybe some other good ideas will come along. Maybe you need to negotiate something. That certainly was always true when I was Secretary of the Air Force. So iterate, very important. And then the final one is follow up. Because once and done, never cuts it. Just you say you're going to do something differently or here's where we're going, team once and done doesn't do it. So you have to call the meetings, you have to ask for data, you have to measure as much as possible. And to the extent that the team sees that you're putting your personal time and effort and attention on this, that also makes people sit up and take notice. So relentless follow-up is key. Those are some amazing nuggets from your book. I really enjoyed. Uh, Now I'm, I'm ready to dive in. There's some great advice through those stories. Um, I'd love to just turn as we sort of are winding down a little bit, just to get some general advice from you as a role model. You know, go back to this women in a male-dominated field. There are a lot of, certainly women in tech and in STEM, you know, and we feature a lot of women that are in those roles and, and the particular challenges that they have. So do you have any kind of like best piece of advice for women to really be able to own their power? How do they really get to that place? Because as we all know that confidence gap is something that is really challenging for women and held women back. The best piece of advice I can probably give there is prepare, prepare, prepare. So in other words, know your subject matter area and then have the confidence in yourself. And if you don't truly feel confident, I'm a big believer, fake it. Don't ever fake the data. Don't ever speak information, which is not true, but rather practice in front of the mirror if necessary. The law of confidence, the body posture, all of those things that go into it. Because after all, you're probably underselling yourself that you lack the confidence. I lacked confidence for years. I was terrified to do public speaking for years. And yet every time I would do it, I would prepare, prepare, prepare. I would practice so much that I'd practice practically memorize the material. I would literally walk out on stage pretending I was an actress in a play. That was a way for me to emotionally separate myself in case the thing went poorly. And yet time after time, I received, you know, kudos for great public speaking. And I would think, wow, me? Great public speaking? So over time, of course, you do get used to these things. So it's practice, prepare, and show that confidence. And if you're not truly feeling it, and Lord knows I wasn't feeling it, just put on that face to portray that level of confidence. Because you know what? You deserve to be confident. If you've done all that preparation, you know this better than you're giving yourself credit for knowing it. 
That's awesome. And I think that that confidence also comes from tribes. There's been new research that comes out that, that shows sort of that women who have a tribe of women around them get to higher positions, excel more. And, and a lot of it is this confidence piece. So I'd love for you just to talk about, you know, even being in sort of that male dominated world, were you able to find a tribe of women who supported you? And, you know, any suggestions for how women in those fields can find their tribe? Coming up through the ranks, I will say I had more male mentors, I had more male colleagues, I had male friends, I certainly had female friends as well, who had either been peers, but rarely, you know, someone who was senior to me as I was coming up through the ranks. But I do have a posse of women who I I love dearly. We're all in different fields, which I think that's important because although we're all women, we do have diverse backgrounds. So having a network which is not completely like yourself, I think is very important for women for men. Today, what I'm doing in addition to the book is I sit on various corporate boards. So I'm relatively new to the world of the boardroom. I've been doing it now for about two years. And so I have a lot to learn. I've studied and I've taken some courses and I know the basics and I'm getting on the job training. But I'm in a new tribe of women who we are all on boards and we are all networking now together. We do a little professional development about once a month. We get together and it's also fun. So that's a new tribe, I will say. It's all female that I now participate in. Having an all-female tribe is great, but if you can't find that, if you're in a profession where it just doesn't exist, try to create a tribe that includes men because we women need men to help promote us, to mentor us, sponsor us just as much as we need women. Absolutely. So you've written your book and now you're sitting on boards and what's next? What does the future hold for Deverly James? Well, far be it for me not to have a plan A. So <laughs> no, I'm not, I know you've got one. <laughs> My plan A, perhaps over the next five years or so, is I would love to take some of the wealth that I have made, not that I'm a super wealthy person or anything like that, but I've accumulated savings, a certain degree of wealth. I have two beautiful children who are through college, they're launched. So I would like to take some uh, significant portion of that wealth. And I would like to set up my own charity, my own nonprofit, which would be for the betterment of women and girls. Now, I have to flesh it out more, but that is something I've never done. And that is the hill that I want to climb and use some of my money for that good purpose. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And where can our listeners find your book? Well, it's available on Amazon.com. It's at Barnes and Nobles. So there's a variety of places that listeners can go. I have my own website, which has easy access to all of these different book venues. And that's very simply www.debraleejames.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Deborah. I really appreciate your time and sharing so openly with us today. And you've certainly had a phenomenal career and lots of exciting things in the future, it sounds like. So please keep us posted. We'd love to have you back. I know that certainly our fans and listeners would love to support you in your journey to help women and girls as well. Thank you very much for having me on the spot. Thank you, Melinda. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our free daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass you are meant to be. Tune in next week where I sit down with Jenny Thompson, founder and CEO of Safety Pin Technologies. 
We're focused on your success. So let us know what you think by chatting with us at On The Dot Woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear your voice.